0: welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen
1: Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com, And today, we are going to talk with one of our favorite people, for real, writer, leadership coach, activist Karen Walrand about her new book, the Makers Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. And I know we will use a little more light and joy in our lives these days. So this seems like a good time for this topic. Yes. And as always, we will close out our show with our cool picks of the
0: week. And we will be right back with Karen jumping right into this awesome discussion after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Google Kidspace. Space. Google Kidspace Space is a kids mode with content to help your child discover, create, and grow available on select Android tablets. It's designed to spark your kids' curiosity and creativity, inspiring them to explore their interests through a library of quality content with apps, games, books, and videos. The five tabs on Google Kidspace: Space, Home, Play, Read, Watch, and Make are full of teacher-approved apps, hand-picked books from top publishers, and videos that encourage learning and hands-on play. And parents will be glad to have the suite of parental controls through the Family Link app from Google. Visit their site. It's families.google.com/kidspace for more information. Tablets with the Google Kids Space Kids Mode start at just fifty nine dollars. You can go to families.google.com/kidspace. That's K I D S S P A C E to learn more and find one of these Android tablets with Google
1: Kids Space on it for just fifty nine dollars. So let us tell you a little more about Karen Warren. For those of you who don't know, she is a lawyer, leadership coach, and activist who has helped thousands of people around the world find purpose and meaning in their work. She's a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. That's with Brene Brown, if you didn't know. And she's trained in positive psychology coaching by the Whole Being Institute. As a photographer, Karen has traveled throughout Africa with the One Campaign, with me, actually. We went to Ethiopia together. (laughs) One is an advocacy organization committed to the prevention of extreme Poverty and preventable disease. And she currently serves on the board of directors for the Houston Coalition Against Hate. And most recently,
0: like super recently, she's the author of the brand new book, The Lightmakers Manifesto, which she wrote to help us name the skills, values, and actions that help bring us joy, identify the causes that spark our empathy and concern, and then put it all together to change the world. And wow, this is a perfect week to talk about this. Karen, we're so glad you're here. Oh my
2: God. It's so good to see you guys or hear you guys anyway. This is really, really, really lovely. Thank you for having
1: me. We go so far
2: back. I was like, all
1: I could think of was like that week in Ethiopia and how life-changing it was and I miss you and Um, I'm really glad you're here.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It was a great, great time. And of course, Stories of Africa made the book. So I I
1: know I read them all. It probably was very (laughs) familiar
2: for you. Some of the stories in there. Yeah. The
1: book is fabulous, first of all. And by the way, I have to say, I'm only a little intimidated that you just a podcast with Brene Brown and we are <laughs> following that. So we will do our best. Oh, that's so
2: awesome. Yeah, Brene, she's, um, bless her, she's a good friend and actually it's two episodes so there's another episode coming soon after the one that you probably just heard. It was quite the life experience for sure. Well,
1: no doubt you will have a zillion new fans and followers after that and count us among them. Oh, thank you. So listen, let's just jump into the book because you couldn't have timed this more perfectly, I think. Mm-hmm. The last few years have been so hard on us, mm-hmm, but yeah. the most most recent election, November 2nd, also brutal for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I even had tweeted the day after that when I'm struggling, I look for the helpers and I shared your book. And I want to know if you feel like you're a helper.
2: <laughs> I love this question. That's so sweet. You know, I think we're all helpers or we all at least have the capacity to be helpers for sure. I mean, I think that's really what the book is about. It's about how can you tap into your own strengths and your own values and how can you do that to help others to make the world brighter for others. So yeah, I'd love to think of myself as a helper. And I think we all can be and that we're actually all called to try to be.
0: Yes. And I guess to piggyback on that, just curious, who are your helpers? Who are the people that you look to? I mean, you mentioned a few wonderful names, Tarana Burke, Asha Dornfest, who we know personally, but who else? Who are your helpers? You know,
2: that is sort of the joy of this book. I got to interview all my favorite helpers (laughs) in order to get their wisdom for this book. So yeah, for Sure, Brene is a very dear friend. She's one of my closest friends. God bless her. She gets a lot of my sort of frantic texts and and emails. The other person who is actually also in the book that I think you guys know is Mira Jacob, Mm. who is this amazing author, and she wrote an amazing book called Good Talk, and it's become sort of my go-to anti-discrimination book. And she's a good friend. So when things start to get a little bleak and hopeless, she's the person that gets my all-caps texts, right? And say, (laughs) "Oh my god!" It was actually
1: a spawned Cool Pick of the Week, A Ways Back.
2: I'm sure. It's a fantastic book. I've bought and given away more copies of that book than I can count. And so she for sure is Tarana. Just really, really great people. Brad Montague is in the book. He's the amazing, brilliant mind and filmmaker behind Kid President. Remember Kid President? Oh yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yes. So There's just so many people. You know, and then there's the people that I don't know, like the Malalas of the world that, you know, I always turn to for inspiration, right? That are just out there doing amazing things with what skills and passions that they have.
1: And I think that's actually one of the nice things about the book is it's names you know and names you don't necessarily know and and it just reminds you that there are great people out there doing good in the world that are not necessarily famous for it. And it kind of allows us to put ourselves in their shoes and go, Oh, maybe I could be doing this too. Yeah. Let's like talk about the title of the book for a minute, because it's not the activist's manifesto. Nope. (laughs) It's the light makers manifesto. Yeah. Talk to us about what it means to be a light maker.
2: Yeah. I I love that you're making this distinction. I hadn't really considered it uh, the distinction necessarily until you said it. But when I got invited to write this book and I did get invited, by the way, this wasn't a book that, I sort of had this muse in me crying to get out. My publisher or the people who ended up becoming my publisher, they emailed me and said, we want to do a book on the intersection of joy and activism. And we think you could write it. Oh, what a compliment. In a fit of madness, I said, yes, because I thought back then, and this would have been like January 2nd, 2020, right? So remember where we were then. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long ago, but there was no such thing as a pandemic, right? Like we didn't even know anything was happening. Then George Floyd was still alive. Breonna Taylor was still alive. I mean, it was a tough time. You know, we'd gone through turbulent elections in this country as well, but it wasn't the dumpster fire that we (laughs) That we came to know know and love and fear. (laughs) Exactly. And so they asked me to do this. And at the time, you know, I said yes, literally, because I had chosen the words bold and experiment as my words of the year for 2020. So I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Totally didn't think I was qualified to do it. Literally got off of the call and thought, yeah, she's picked the wrong person. Because in my mind, I wasn't an activist. In my mind, an activist was someone who put themselves in physical peril, Mm, right? So like for me, it's the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square or Mm. police dogs and fire hoses being set on. Like, you know, for me, it was something that was very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And even though I had done kind of activisty things like going to Africa with Liz and, you know, the occasional Women's march and pride march and that kind of thing, like I didn't consider myself that. So I started making a list of who I thought were activists and people like Renee and Tarana. You know, these were people I thought I'll just tap into their wisdom because they're activists. I'm not. And I can just interview them. And then I realized that these people that were coming up in this list weren't people that necessarily I associated with having police dogs Set on them or getting arrested. So, what was it about them that made it okay for me to call them activists that I couldn't call myself an activist? Right. And then, where does joy fit in? So, I distinguish activism from light making. First of all, activism is broader than we think. Right. Like, I think of it as being led by your values to purposeful action in the hopes of making the world brighter for others. Like, that's my activist definition. Light making includes that making the world brighter for others, but it's also tapping into what you have inside of you that makes your world brighter. So using those sort of skills, those hobbies, those activities that really sort of light you up, that even if you never got paid for them, you know you'd be doing it for the rest (laughs) of your life because they bring you joy and figuring out how can I use those things to be of service. So a light maker sort of combines both of those things. It's making the world brighter for other people And in the process, cultivating joy, right, for yourself as well. Well,
0: I'm so glad you're talking about joy because a lot of people don't sort of connect activism with joy, right? Like A lot of people come to activism from anger and dissatisfaction and frustration, which is fair. I mean, that's sort of, you know, in my own situation with our school board is exactly how I came to that. But what you just spoke about here is that it can grow out of joy and it also can give you joy. And I'm curious to know, how did you come to this? Was this from talking to all these people? Was this looking inward at yourself? I mean, it was both
2: really. First of all, I think a lot of times we conflate joy with happiness. And I think they're two very different things, right? Like I think of happiness as something that's a bit fleeting. That's probably caused by some external experience. Like your friends celebrate your birthday with you, or, you know, you get an unsurprising day off or you win the lottery, right?
1: Uh, That happens every day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. But
2: you know what I'm saying? But joy. I think comes from something that is more closely to meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's some depth to it as well. Right. And so one of the sources, as I was looking into this, that I read was the book of joy and it's by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And they talk about how joy subsumes happiness and it can sometimes arise from difficulty. Right. So the example that I think Bishop Tutu used was a woman who gives birth, right? Like a woman who's giving birth is in all kinds of pain. It's very difficult. It can be long. Right. But as soon as the baby is born, there's just this sudden rush of joy, right? Like it can come from pain and discomfort and everything else. And to your point, Kristen, yeah, we don't get into activism because things are great, right? Like (laughs) if things were great, we wouldn't need activism, right? We get in because something has really pissed us off or something makes us sad or breaks our heart. So for sure, it's not something that we get into to be happy. But when we start tapping into that meaning and purpose, and when we look at what we are able to accomplish, and when we do it in community with other people it starts to feel like joy, right? Because we're doing something that creates meaning that is helping make the world brighter, that we're doing it with other like-minded people. And that can be a very, very joyful experience.
1: And you know, I did find interesting the whole section about play that you wrote Mm -hmm. about because I wouldn't think to have a section about play in a book about the intersection of activism and joy. So um, can you talk about that a little bit because I found that fascinating.
2: Yeah, so the person that actually opened my mind a lot to that is a guy by the name of Jeff Harry. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. guys know him because he's sort of around our circles whenever we are hanging out with people who do work on the internet. So Jeff is actually a play coach and he teaches corporations how to incorporate play In their work, he says he thinks that play is as important as sleeping or eating, which I think is a really mind blowing way to think of it. But if you think of play as something that is done without any sort of purpose, right? Like when you watch kids play, especially like imaginative play, like they're just making things up on the fly. And that can often be the mindset that you need in order to be innovative and creative. So if you think of activism and the purpose of activism or advocacy as shifting mindsets, that requires a bit of innovation and creativity. And so he argues, and I think rightfully so, that play can serve two purposes. One, it can be a way that we sort of get innovative about how we're going to do our advocacy, but it can also be a form of self-care, right? And if you think of advocacy and activism as a rhythm, right? Like we can't just go, 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 go all the time, we'll get burned out. But if you think of it as sometimes you need to stop and then gather the energy again to go back in and push again, play can be one of those things that we do in order to gather that energy in order to recover and then go back in again in order to be an activist and advocacy.
1: That's a great segue for my next question about yeah. recovery and reactivism because yeah. so many women I know who I think of as strong, fierce activists. And maybe I'm activist adjacent. <laughs> like, I don't see myself as one. But I, I,
2: I know. We're, we're going to change that. We're going to change you thinking about yourself that Good, way. You're gonna, okay. You're going to think of yourself that mm. way by the end of this. But
1: I, I would love that. I would, <laughs> sometimes people say that about me and I'm like, I don't know. But I think I, that about
0: you. Are you kidding? Yeah, for yeah. Sure. I'm actually you
1: surprised go. you're saying that because I would totally describe you as one. I guess I look at this like high standard of a lot of the women I am in contact with who full time, it's what they do all the time. Yeah. But I'm thinking about those women, like even the ones who are the most engaged, who are always hosting the political fundraisers and advocating for someone and on top of a cause before I know about it. They are tired. Yeah. And they are burnt out and they're exhausted. They're struggling. And mm-hmm. it makes me nervous. I'm thinking, oh, if this person is struggling, oh my gosh, how's the rest of the world feeling? Yeah, And it's hard to keep going when things just feel like they keep blowing up around you or you're not seeing the difference that you make. And I'm wondering, are you seeing this too? Do you think this is universal? Are
2: these like particular groups feeling this right now? I think everybody feels that way when they do any kind of activism. If you are not careful and if you are not taking that time to stop and gather your energy and mend. And like, if you think of recreation, like, and recreate yourself right through mm-hmm. recreation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you can burn out. But one thing that I'd love to share that somebody shared with me as I was interviewing this book, which is going to be depressing, but if you think about it as actually very freeing, is Valerie Core. So she's a Sikh, S-I-K-H, mm-hmm. American activist, and she's a lawyer and a filmmaker, and she's amazing. And she's also a faith leader. And she uses the wisdom of a midwife that sort of breathe and push, right? Like a midwife doesn't tell you push, 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 mm-hmm. right? Like there's always some breathing involved. And she talks about finding a rhythm, right? Like you have to be able to breathe and then push and breathe and then push. And what she said that was, like I said, both depressing and freeing is she said to me, she goes, look, the truth of the matter is that in our march toward justice, whatever that justice looks like for you, we are not going to see the success, the final success. We've achieved it in our lifetimes. She goes, people have been fighting for these things for generations before us, and they will fight." for generations after us, which is depressing until you think that the point is to be able to have longevity in the work, to be able to take the baton from the people before us and then do what we can in our rhythm, breathing and pushing and being able to pass the baton on to the generations who come later to continue the work. And if we don't have that rhythm, we push and then we recreate, we recreate and push and recreate, then we are going to get burned out, right? Like then we can't sustain it. So that's one thing. The other thing is what, you said, Liz, about, you know, I don't know, this looks kind of frightening and this looks kind of tough. As I said at the top of this, I did not consider myself an activist because I think in my mind, I wasn't doing enough to be miserable in a way, right? Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't putting Mm -hmm. myself in danger Mm -hmm. or, you know, putting myself into this thing. So how dare I call myself an activist? But after interviewing all these people and I interviewed about a dozen people that were all very different, some liberal, some conservative, some Democrats, some Republicans people who were Americans, people who were not Americans, of all races, of all genders. And I learned through their stories that there are as many different ways to be an activist as they are people who want to be activists. Mm. And the trick is to tap into the way that feels organic to who you are, that feels joyful for you because you want to have longevity. Like, frankly, you're not a whole lot of use to anybody if you do it for a short amount of time and then you're just tired, you're exhausted, right? Like you have to figure out the way to do it so that you can keep doing it and you get joy from it and you breathe through it and find your rhythm through it so that you can pass the baton on. And
1: if I may, it's a lot like parenting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Isn't it though?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't just go through it completely exhausted all the time. You've got to find like those joyful moments to keep the long
2: you going, game. right? Long Absolutely. Game. Long game. It the is long the long game. game. And that's what we're all in here for. Like that's how you change the world is get into it for the long game.
0: Can you talk a little bit about self-compassion breaks too? Because I imagine, yeah. you know, as we go into this need for recreating, right? Or recreating and recovering, there is this need to help ourselves. And we hear the word self-care a lot. And so, I'm curious to know, is self-compassion different than self-care? Is self-compassion a part of self-care? Because I personally think they're different things. I think they're related, but I think they're different. And I think we need more talk about self-compassion. So how does that work? How do we become kinder and more compassionate? To ourselves?
2: Yeah. So I would love to say that my insight about this is all me, but it's not. It's from this amazing woman. Her name is Krista Neff, Dr. Kristen Neff, and she's oh, a professor yeah. at the University of Texas. She's
0: fantastic. She she is, is like fantastic. the foremost self-compassion
2: guru. Out Absolutely. There. She really is. And she's got some really great books on it as well. Like she's really, really something. And so what she says that compassion, let's take the self part out of it for a second, but compassion is comprised of three things. So, for example, if I said to you guys, you all, I just, um, I said something to my husband the other day and I really, really hurt his feelings and I'm feeling awful about it. I'm a horrible person. I can't believe he stays married to me. He puts up with me, whatever, right? Like, let's just imagine I come to you and I'm really beating myself up about it, right? Some of the things that you might say to me are things like, oh my gosh, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. Mm -hmm. You know, go easy on yourself. I'm sure it was not as bad as you thought. Just, you know, be kind, circle back. So you would say these things to me, right? And so what Kristen Neff says is that there's three components to compassion. It's sort of this mindfulness that you are understanding, like how you feel. Oh my gosh, I know exactly how you feel, Karen. Right. It's, This view of the connectedness, the world, and that it's normal to feel that way. Karen, I know you feel that way. I've been there. It's completely normal to have those feelings. And then you would say, Karen, can I help you in any way? Right? Is there anything I can do to help you? You know, just be gentle with yourself. It's those three things. So, a self compassion break, which by the way, I am very into, and having lost our home in Hurricane Harvey, which I share in the book, I share the story in my book. Like, I was doing self compassion breaks daily during there. And what it is, is you stop for a second and it doesn't take long. It takes 30 seconds, a minute, but you stop for a second and you slow your breathing. And as you think about the thing that's giving you any stress or any pain or anything, you think to yourself first, the mindfulness. Oh my gosh, this is really hard as you're breathing. And then you acknowledge that it's totally normal to feel that way. Of course this is hard. Anybody in this situation would feel exactly the same. And then you Do a reminder, you pray to God or Allah or the universe, whatever, and then you just give yourself and remind yourself, may I go gentle, may I be kind with myself. And what she has found that happens is when you take that break, where you slow your breathing, you acknowledge it's hard. You say it's normal to feel this way and remind yourself to be kind those three elements. What ends up happening is that you put yourself in a position that you can make the mindfulness next step that you need to take. So what we do is whenever we're in stress or tense or something, we immediately go, okay, this is what we need to fix it. But your mind isn't in the space to be able to make a rational decision. Uh, But when you just take that moment to slow down and stop and be kind to yourself. After you've done that, you can think, okay, Now, what do I need to do? And you move forward through it. And as activists, obviously, I mean, it works great for like your kids are driving you nuts or you stub your toe or whatever. But also when you're an activist and you're doing things and you're facing difficult situations and the bill didn't pass that you wanted to pass, or you're in the middle of a poor country and looking at all the things that still need to be worked on, or you're watching what's happening at the border or whatever else, like all of those are stress. And so being able to have those self-compassion breaks can help center you again and make you think, okay, really, what is the first next step that I can do? What's within my control and what can I do next?
1: Ooh, Karen, I have to say, I'm feeling very emotional. <laughs> I feel like I need a self-compassion break because I'm like finding myself like a little teary hearing you talk yeah. about this. Oh, and I yeah. think a lot of us are missing that right now. And I would also like to suggest that you need to deal with the Calm app to do some of their like coaching and meditation <laughs> stories because I could listen to you talk about this for like a good 45 minutes. Break. Seriously. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And, yeah.
2: and it is different um, to Kristen's point. It is different from self-care. Like if you think of self-care I can think of that as going to a spa or you know, getting my hair cut or something like that. Like it's really about showing yourself kindness, right? It's not just about having an experience that feels indulgent, right? Like it is literally about how do I stop and show the kind of care to myself or the kindness to myself that I would a dear friend.
1: Amazing. So listen, a lot of these exercises are in the book and that's one of the things that's so great about it is it's just easy reading. It's great interviews and quotes and enlightening ideas, but there's also exercises in journal search So one of the questions I want to ask you is for those of our listeners who are inspired to like, they're feeling self-compassionate, they're feeling rested, they want to get involved, they want to do something besides buying your book, of course, (laughs) what can they do? I know you've talked about ways to identify the causes that spark our empathy and concern. How do we start there?
2: So first of all, fair warning to everybody before you buy the book or anything like I am a huge, huge, passionate journaler. I'm very, very into journaling. And it's not something that I necessarily think of as a dear diary kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It is literally a tool that I use for self-compassion for sure, but for activism as well, for my job, for everything that I do. And I use my journal as a way to sort of spill or dump everything that I'm working through and trying to find an answer to, Mm. because if you think about it, you know how you like friends will come to you for advice and you're like, okay, here's what you should do. But then when you have your own issues, you're like, I have no idea what to do. You're like, it's really hard to, oh, yeah. to <laughs> yeah. kind of think about how to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So yeah. a journal can help you do that, right? Like a journal, if you think about it, like even if you say something like, what should I do and just see what comes up and you start writing, it's a way to kind of almost act as your own friend, right? So the book actually has a manual at the very back of it that has a lot of different prompts on how you can sort of excavate. What are the things that really, really light you up? What are the things you do that give you joy? What are the things that you do that people always thank you for, right? Like over and over again, or Mm. what are the things you're passionate about? And by passion, not just that you love, but also that incite anger, right? Or fury in you like that kind of passion as well. And so for sure, sitting with a practice of writing, like I write every morning. So sitting and having a practice of just whatever comes to mind and sort of spilling in your journals, even for 21, days, you'll be surprised at sort of what you find out about yourself that you have never really given yourself this space to think about. So that's one thing. The other thing is if you do sit with your journal, which I hope you do, there's three questions, like if you're stuck on what to write, that I've asked myself almost daily that I find really helpful. And the three questions are, how can I feel healthy today? how can I feel connected today? And how can I feel purposeful today? And if you think about those three questions, so how can I feel connected? It's just sort of a, who can I contact today just to stay connected with them? Could it be a friend? Could it be a colleague, whoever, my parents, whatever, just how can I feel connected? How can I feel healthy? Can be anything from hitting the gym really hard to just drinking extra water to having a disco nap in the middle of the day, but (laughs) just really sort of tuning in for your own mental and physical health. Like what will make me feel healthy? And then my favorite, is how can I feel purposeful? What's something I can do today that will make me feel like I'm giving back to my community or my world? And it can literally be donating money. It can be gathering some clothing that you want to donate. It can be starting a movement. Like It can be as big or as small as you want that. But creating that daily practice of looking into like what keeps coming up when I write the answers to these questions. And then when I write the answers to the questions, I add them to my to-do list and I try to make sure that I do whatever that is during the day. And I love it because there's a lot of breadth to the questions so sometimes it'll be something quick but sometimes it might be something big you know again back to the rhythm just really sort of looking at the rhythm of what comes up for you.
1: You are extraordinary (laughs) i just like you to know that you know Kristen and I have like a little doc we work in with art questions and we're both like going she's amazing she's amazing I (laughs) I love her so much is what I tried to very discreetly type so I didn't look you know that that gif
0: of Kermit on his typewriter is sometimes what I feel like while the guest is talking and I'm like,
1: I just love you oh. so
2: much. Hey, and you kind of know I love, love you. you back too.
1: I would oh just gosh. like to say on a personal note, I know a lot of progressive coastal elites like me <laughs> yeah. who say things like, oh, Texas should succeed. Texas should fall off yeah. the map. F-Texas. Yeah. I just want to let you know that when I hear things like that, I think of people like you. And I think of Karen. I think of Jenny Lawson and Laura Mays and Wendy Aarons and other guests we've had on the show from Texas. And let's remember there are amazing people like Karen in Texas working really hard for change. And so I just want to urge people Mm -hmm. to like, think that. Mm-hmm. And remember that there are good people and light makers everywhere, and we need to raise them up like they're raising oh, us. Oh,
2: thank you. Well, I always say, because I do hear that a lot, obviously, living in Texas, and I always and also say... your
1: name is Karen. And my <laughs> name is Karen.
2: Well, that's a whole other conversation, right? But when people start of, like, get on Texas, I always like to say, you know, Texas is the birthplace of Ann Richards and Barbara Jordan. Like, we've had some pretty epic people that come mm-hmm. from the state. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't sleep on the state. We've got some really, really great people that are from here.
0: Yes, a lot of my Favorite people are from or live in Texas. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not gonna we're just looking, looking awesome. out for you. Yeah, we are.
2: Um Karen, <laughs> Thank where you. can
0: we find you on the web, on the socials? Like tell us what well, we know, but like tell our listeners where they can find you.
2: So I could always say that you just look like Google chokalunks, but that's always really, really hard to do. So um <laughs> if you just go to Karen my name, Karen that will take you to all of the Instagram and Facebook and everything else from there. But yes, Karenwaldr.com will get you
1: there amazing Wonderful. and the book is called the lightmakers manifesto you can find it wherever you get your books shop local especially Absolutely. these days or around the holidays do. ask it's for it at your good. library do
0: yes. This. yes yes
2: I will say because I know this is toward the end of a year you know people are like oh it's a good Christmas gift or a holiday gift I will say it's a great beginning of the year gift so oh, uh, you know yes. like as you're starting to think about what you might want to do and mm. start to look inward it is a really very much that. For I sure. will also
1: say it's probably going to make the next Cool Mom Picks list of great books to give a graduate or a new college student. Thank
2: you. I Liz, hope so. Do you
1: have a crystal ball in front of you? <laughs> <laughs> such things. We've we've all known each other long enough. We're like reading each other's thoughts, right? <laughs> Perfect. Oh my gosh. Karen, thank you so much.
0: And yeah, it's time for our Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. Karen, this is how it works. You okay. are our guest, so you get to go first.
2: Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I knew this question was coming and I was really sort of struggling with it. But as it happens, about an hour ago, I got an advanced copy of Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. Ooh. And it is phenomenal. So it's not not out yet,
1: but but,
2: (laughs) but it is a phenomenal book. It is truly sort of an atlas, a way to kind of map your own emotions and really sort of help define your emotions. It's actually very different from her other books. It's on my coffee table. It's a coffee table. It's full color, hardback. It's kind of fancy. So that would definitely be my cool pick for now.
1: What a great idea. And by the way, your book also looks very nice. I have it like in my little behind my had zoom display right now because it makes me look fancy and it's yeah, actually <laughs> it's on my desk and my son and I were having a conversation
0: about what a manifesto is right mm, yeah because like, mm. you don't often hear that word so we were not in
2: positive that. terms it's sort of like my name right exactly. like Karen you don't hear it in positive terms but well, that's- we're yes. reclaiming it. We're reclaiming yes, the name Karen and the word manifesto for sure. Yeah, well,
1: working in advertising, we use it a lot because it's like, what's the brand manifesto? manifesto. manifesto. Oh, right on, yes. Some like long overwrought thing about how great this <laughs> car company is, you know, so I, lo- I like using it in this term and not, and not the Unabomber, right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. Yes, yes. Right. So
1: well, you, Liz. What you got? Okay, so, you know, after Spawned, I want to recommend another podcast I just found. So I was listening to the HBO Succession podcast with Kara Swisher after Succession, but that is not actually the podcast I'm recommending. (laughs) (laughs) On This incredible guest named Adam Grant, and I could not, I was so fascinated by him. Then, at the end, he's like, yes, I'm hosting the Work Life TED original podcast, and I went immediately to that, clicked right over to the Hank Green interview, and immediately fell in love. It is phenomenal. He's an awesome. organizational psychologist if you don't know him, and the whole podcast just goes into the minds of like unusual interesting professionals about the science of making work not suck in his words. It's really nice. not just about work. Like the Hank Green episode, Karen, you would love this. There was this one line that he said that I thought was amazing and it plays right into everything you were talking about today coincidentally. Mm. He said, "If you want to know what your goals are, look at what you do, but if you want to know what your interests are," Look at what you pay attention to. Mm. If you want to know what your values are, look at what you pay attention to. I love and, that. and it was about paying attention to what you pay attention to, to find out what excites you. And I thought, oh, okay, that just set me on a whole new path. It was super. yeah, <laughs>
2: that's awesome.
1: So between that and your book, I'm feeling extra motivated this week. Yay. so it's called Work Life. It's a TED original podcast featuring Adam Grant. Awesome. How about you, Kristen?
0: Oh, well, you know, I'm going in, ladies. I'm going yeah. in and I'm telling you right now that I know I am the younger of the three of us. I'm 45. <laughs> I am in the midst of, the baby. of what I would call the horrific perimenopause oh, years. God oh, welcome. Bless you. Yes, yeah. it's, it's lovely. It's basically like I got to a point where I was crying every day mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's like, is it a UTI? Is it a yeast? Is it, is it, what is this? What is it? What, what could it be? Oh, no, it's not. All of my aches and pains and headaches are just hormones. And the only reason I really figured this out is because two days ago I woke up and I was like, I am a new woman <laughs> because <laughs> it's it, whatever. I, it's my one good week, ladies. Basically, you all know what I'm talking <laughs> about, right? It's the one good I week. Do. And in the midst of my like what is happening to my body, I was like, I I, I need some lady oils, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Ooh. <clears throat> so I bought this is a one-in-the-morning purchase. Foria, have you ladies heard of these? Oh, Foria, yeah, yes. <laughs> CBD,
2: I haven't heard of this. Say CBD more.
0: lady oils. They're for your, you know, your lady bits <gasps> and things.
2: Really? Talk about self-care.
0: Yeah, ex- yes. <laughs> and self-compassion, my friend. Right? I am being kind to myself. Yeah, yeah um, you are. I am being grateful. Anyway, so they have CBD. They're supposed to make things more relaxed and maybe a little, I hate the word, but we're going to use it a little more moist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just a little wow. more joyous. And for, wow.
0: for
1: those of you not getting all the like subtleties here.
2: Subtle? Sex. We're,
1: We're talking so subtle. about sex here.
0: <laughs> all I'm saying is I'm just going to do the research for all women. I'm going to take it upon myself to just study this very hard and I will let you know how they go. But I can't say anything other than I bought them. I'm very excited to use
1: them and I will report back. Or awesome. <laughs> CBD lady oils. I love it. I may have... Um, a, a new intention after a <laughs> conference <laughs> <laughs> I have found my passion in <laughs> activism. There you go. <laughs> well, Karen, you are amazing. This is such a pleasure and a joy and a privilege. And having known you so long, that has been a privilege as well. Like seeing where you are now and what you're doing and how much you're giving to people. And I'm just, I'm proud to know you and so grateful for your time.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn.
0: Huge thanks to our wonderful guest, Karen Walrand and our awesome engineer. John Bowen if you've got a moment please please leave us a five star review leave us a little rating
1: I'm gonna say three more pleases please, please yes please and now we have five pleases for there five we stars. go how's
0: that yes <laughs> love it we would appreciate it just remember okay when you subscribe and you download and you do all those little tiny things that by the way are totally free it helps other listeners like you find us
1: you can also join us in the spawn podcast community on Facebook where we talk about the show topics and pretty much anything else you'd like to talk about we are chatty that way And hey, thank
0: you so much for taking the time to listen to Spawn. This is Liz. And this is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye. This is Kristen. Thanks for sticking around for a little spawned extra. I'm here with author Tiffany Schmidt, and we're talking about her new book, I'm Dreaming of a Wyatt Christmas. So, Tiffany, ballet and Christmas, they are two of my favorite
3: things. What made you combine them in your new book? So, I love Christmas movies. I love the Christmas season. I love everything cozy. And this was the book I was writing during the pandemic. So, I was glomming on to anything cozy that I could put in a novel. And for me, a big part of Christmas is the Nutcracker, which I appreciate so much as an audience member. I am not a ballet dancer. (laughs) I admire it deeply, but coordination is not a thing I have. So one of our good family friends had a daughter who's also a family friend who went to a residential ballet school. And I've always been kind of fascinated by that part of her life. And this gave me kind of a neat window into it where I could ask her all my curiosity questions. And it worked so well with the character of Noelle, who's so deeply enmeshed, in Christmas season and this gave her one more connection was her role in The Nutcracker and wanting to enhance her ballet career. I imagine that kissing scenes
0: are fun to write, but also a little tricky. Is that why you write them
3: first? Or is there another reason? This is a nod to my bio, which says that I write the kissing scenes first, which is true, but also brevity condensed for a bio. Kissing scenes are fun to write for me. They're happy. They're full of a lot of joy. And they reveal so much about the characters. So writing those early becomes kind of revelatory and it's also an enticement. Uh, I often use scenes that I'm excited to write as kind of carrots that I dangle together myself to them.
0: Well, I'm not going to question your process at all because you are (laughs) prolific. Nine books and I'm sure counting. So how do you find the time to do all this when life has been so distracting, especially lately?
3: That is very true. And I started writing when my twins who are now about to turn 11 were babies. It's always been something I've done on borrowed time and in kind of the margins of my life. I still miss that full Blackberry keypad that I could type on with both thumbs and I would write whole scenes on there Or a lot of Siri take a note. And a lot of my day, especially with young children was kind of pre-writing in my head or on receipts on the counter or doing a lot of planning so that when they went down for a nap or after they were in bed at night, I could be incredibly productive, incredibly fast because the scene was written in my head. I just needed to get it out of my fingers. Why at Christmas, I wrote during the pandemic when everyone was home from school. And to be honest, it was not my best work-life balance time. And most of it was written from 3 to 5 a.m. because that was when I had time where no one needed me and I didn't need to hunt for toilet paper or groceries. So in order to get myself up at 3 a.m. to write, it had to be the coziest, safest world. Man, moms, we do it all.
0: (laughs) 3 a.m. I was thinking my 5 a.m. wake-ups to write my stuff was early, but 3 a.m., that's early. Well, you You've got a gaggle of kids, and a couple of your kids are almost YA book age. Will they read your books or have they? I'm curious about that.
3: They have not as of yet, not because I have prevented them from it, but just because it hasn't been something they have been drawn towards. They are prolific readers. And just the other day, one of them walked by a copy of White on my counter and flipped it open, and was like, huh, that's a great first line. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what the first line is. Do you want to fill me in? But I will not gatekeep them. I think that's one of the big issues we often see, especially with boys in reading, is that they so often get the message at, this book isn't for you. You know, it's got a girl on the cover, or it's got pink, or it's got this, and especially sharing stories with other author friends. We've all had those experiences where we're at a signing, and a parent has taken a book from a boy's hands and said, no, that's not what you want. And that is something that is very important to me. My my sons once had a princess in black birthday party That was the book they were into at the time. That was the book they wanted to share as their party theme. And I am completely okay with them reading what they want to read. I just think that they're not quite into the romance yet. And that is a lot of what my recent books have been.
0: So we both live in the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. We live pretty near each other, actually. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, what's your favorite thing about living where we do?
3: We actually stumbled upon this town before we lived here when we were looking for wedding venues. And our wedding reception was held in the Missioner Art Museum, which is just a really neat venue. It's attached to the library and art and books are two of my favorite things. The library used to be a jail, which is also kind of neat. And I remember the first time I walked in this town, seeing the bookstores, which is something I look for in any town. And there used to be a place in town called the writer's room. And this was back when I was a teacher and and didn't know this is where my career would be, but it was appealing to me. I wanted to live in a town with a writer's room and a jail library and an art museum and a bookstore. And then I was hired by the school district a few weeks later. And it was a no brainer that I wanted to live in this kind of stars hollow community where arts are so important.
0: Well, you can find I'm Dreaming of a Wyatt Christmas. That's Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. We love a play on words. You can find it wherever you get books. If it's not at your local bookstore or at your library, pro tip, you can ask for it at both of those places. And authors are always grateful when you do.